of the Sports Web Podcast. And in this first segment, I will delve into the boxing world. And I'm going to take you on a little trip, if you will. And it's an article that I, I found that was uh, pretty interesting. Uh, so I went through it and I picked up some points. And what caught me was, like I said, one of the main topics of the article. And I'm going to give it to you now. And here it is. And the thing that got me, caught my eye, caught my attention was why chiseled boxers lose and flabby boxers win. Yeah, you heard what I said. It's why chiseled boxers lose and flabby boxers win. So in this article, it talks about some big name boxers, um, a few, but it, it kind of breaks down a history of boxing, uh, so to speak. So talks about a little bit of training methodology, 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 methodology. Wow, I can't even say this word. Wow. Talks about training methods. I'm gonna cut myself short. Stop trying to say that word. Uh, it talks about training methods and, and how individual fighters trained and what it did, how they and how they trained affected their performance in the ring. So it starts out and we're talking about one of the one of the good fighters, a well known fighter, one James Tony, um, who was a short guy, about one sixty pound division, and he shortly had eaten his way up to a rotund two hundred and seventeen pounds. Uh, he was once referred to by HBO broadcaster Jim Lampley as a fat tub of goo. Okay, now it says that. Yeah, I'm looking here at the comment. Uh, Ivan's chiming in already, and he says, "Of course, they are in shape to do what they are, what they're supposed to do, and others are just lazy." That is absolutely true. So keep listening, cause I got some other stuff in here. It's some good stuff. In here, Ivan. So keep listening, and I'm sure you will have many, many more comments um, coming up down the line. So it also says that uh, Tony's body was soft, with a punch that tweaked over, you know, with a stomach that pulled over his trunks, um, a waistline that threatened to jailbreak his butt crack from his ever lowering shorts, ever lowering shorts. So. In a small way, they're, they're kind of uh, making fun, poking fun at his size from what he started out as the 160 and how he blew up to the 217. Okay, so they're kind of making fun of that. Um, and then they compared the first comparison. It says, and then there was Evander Holyfield, who was the elder statesman at 41 at the time. And Evander Holyfield was talked about as a physical marvel. Um, as he grew older and bigger, his neck got shorter and thicker, slowly consumed by sloping trapezius muscles. His shoulders became cannonballs and his weightlifter chest depended and expand, deepened and expanded like armor. He resembled the marble statues of ancient Greece. So they're saying that you have one hand, they're talking about James Tony, who was a little bit bigger, not as physically formed, physically shaped, chiseled out as Evander Holyfield. Um, 
but then you have Evander Holyfield, who was chiseled and, you know, labeled a physical specimen. Uh, they talked about this fight because the initial fight between James uh, was supposed to be, I believe, between Dwight Muhammad Kwai. Um, and after Olifield won that fight, he was asked to make the 190-pound fighter a heavyweight. Okay, so he was asked to become a heavyweight. Yeah, um, Ivan chimes in, and this is I'm getting these these comments that I'm reading to you, folks, are from Ivan Mighty Mouse Robinson. If you don't know who he is, you should know. I'm not gonna tell you who he is. You should know. If you don't know, you can go Google him right now and do whatever and find out who he is. But props to him for tuning in and giving us firsthand boxing uh, commentary along with what I'm giving you from this article. So his most recent comment, he says, and I've talked about James Tony. He says that was James Tony, but he read, but he read on his natural ability. Um, I agree with that, and they talked about that um, in uh, in another fight, another fighter, and it's very similar later on down the line. So they wanted him to go up to like two twenty. This is what they said about Van Holyfield after he beat Dwight Muhammad Kawhi. They wanted him to go up to about they said about one ninety, maybe even two twenty. Um, as the truism of boxing, they say punchers are born, not made. Okay, so Holyfield packed on the pounds in 1988. And I'm going back. This is 1988, folks, okay? Uh, he continued to grow until he had heaped on more than 25 pounds. When he met Tony in 20, 2003, he weighed in at 219 pounds. There were a lot of rumors that he was used steroids to get him to that weight. Um, and then those suspicions reignited again for Holyfield when his name surfaced during two steroid investigations of pharmacies in 2007. Um, and he denied any allegations. So here we go. Now, conventional wisdom um, says that Evander Holyfield is the best trained, best conditioned heavyweight in this sport. And maybe in the history of the sport. Okay. Um, this is about his fight with Burt Cooper. This is what Jim Lampley said about Holyfield when he was getting ready in his, in, during his fight with Burt Cooper. Okay. Uh, let's see. The 15-round battle of attrition with Kwai would brought some ring advisors, saw ring observers, saw a man who was naturally 190 pounds being weighed down by muscle, killing his stamina. Holyfield won fights with intellect and mental toughness more than lung capacity. He collected an array of bar fighter techniques, hitting opponents below the belt or ranking their noses, raking their noses and cheeks with his elbow, and regularly enjoyed the clinch leading with his head, and he went to hug his opponents. So... Thanks for tuning in, Sheena. How you doing? Uh, so there you go. Now, Jim Lampley is talking about this, and they talk about Holyfield. And Ivan, I'm sure you've been around, so you know. Uh, they say that, which kind of some very similar to what you mentioned about James Tony, where they said that Holyfield won fights with his intellect and his mental tough mental toughness. Uh, 
which leads me to believe that he did a lot of things in the ring uh, to try and outsmart his opponent, to think, try to be a step or two ahead of his opponent, to give, give himself an advantage. And reading what the latter part of that statement said, he used a lot of things in his advantage, a lot of things that he could do that he could get away with to his advantage. Okay. Um, he had effectively learned to stall, frustrate, and catch breaths for himself. Franklin tuned in, partner, what's going on? So there you have it. He said, like I just said, he used what he could to his advantage. And it said he effectively learned how to stall in the fight, and he learned how to frustrate and catch breaths for himself. So a lot of things he did, like I said, were in his game plan to give himself a breather um, during the fight. Now, mind you, I'm talking about the guy that's the physical specimen. And when you think about guys that are talked about like that, you also have you have to second guess or begin to second guess when you hear people like I'm doing right now talk about him learning how to stall in fights, learning how to frustrate opponents and give himself breathers. You would think the opposite. You would think that the chubbier guy would want to use more of these tactics to catch their breath and stall the fight and get their wind, if you will. Um, after, and you know, the famous fight, after eating too many of Holyfield's headbutts in their first fight, Mike Tyson infamously bit a chunk of Holyfield's ear. We know all about that, and there you have it. So, again, he did set out what to do, what he initially would accomplish, what he had in his game plan. Frustrate his opponent. They had to separate him, so he takes a breather. So he did kill two birds with one stone. He frustrated his opponent, and he got the separation from the referee, and he got those breathers for himself. Um... Kurt, what's going on, my guy? So he also, um, his bulky shimmer evoked none of the menace of pop culture badasses. Even his nickname, Lights Out, might be mistaken for the final line of a children's story. So we know James Tony, And like I read to you um, what Ivan said, they talk about how Holyfield was the physical specimen James Tony did not look that similar way. He looked like the guy that just pretty much got off the couch, came into the boxing ring. But I even told you firsthand, as I mentioned to you, that was him. That was how he succeeded. Those were the things that he used to his advantage to be successful. Um, he had just survived, Tony had just survived the punishing fight with Vasily Giroff taking nearly 250 punches on his in a narrow victory. So he took a lot of punches, okay? Now, the fighter that he fought, the German, was, uh, he outlasted him, knocking the Tiger down late in a split decision win, okay? Now, both Holyfield and Tony were considered outstanding fighters. Holyfield had the better earnings and reputation, after knocking out the palp palpably violent Tyson and nearly beating 
champion Lennox Lewis. Okay, Holyfield would bring his own brand of relentless relentlessness. Fans thought, along with some, along with what some would call a world class conditioning. On the other hand, Tony was known as a hard partier who loved cheeseburgers and preferred sparring over the kinds of over over other kinds of training. So, there you have it. James Tony apparently or allegedly did not like the traditional boxing training regimen. He liked sparring. Uh yeah, Ivan tunes in again and he said the fight was a brutal fight. Tony was not in shape and just didn't care. Okay, so like I said, I'm telling you, I'm getting this first-hand information from somebody who was around in in that boxing world at the time and can give me feedback, pertinent feedback on what's being said in the article. Now, mind you, I am giving you the article and I'm also giving you my take and I'm also adding in what Ivan has given me. And like I said, he's been around. You know that he's been around. So his... Uh, his feedback is very, very pertinent to the point and the points that are made in this article. Okay. Um, you know, if you think about it now, since we're talking uh, more than their resumes, perhaps, both of these fighters were compared by their waistlines. Um, you know, and the bottom line is, what kind of shape is James Tony in? Steve Albert observed. We'll soon find out. Yada, yada, yada. Okay. Uh, both men carried substantial weight into the ring. It was the fat man who breathed easy, and yet the fight, and yet the fight did little to deter a movement across boxing towards bigger, more sculpted fighters. Uh, no problem, Iverson. I appreciate you for giving me some of that feedback that I can take that was that I know is firsthand from being in that environment. I appreciate you uh, as well. Uh, you know, the big men with big muscles like the Michael Grant had already been established in the ring. Tyson came out of prison and quickly acquired a six-pack, and Lennox Lewis's chest and arms grew throughout his career. So you had boxers that did follow after Holyfield and show or appear to be the physical specimens and stay in that physical shape. Uh, Holyfield, after all, was old for a prize fighter and has suffered from high-profile health problems for years. Okay, Tony had already distinguished himself as one of the finest technical boxers of his day. You heard that I said that, right? Now, just because he was chubby and didn't like the traditional training, he still got his props. Tony had already distinguished himself as one of the finest technical boxers of his day. Hey, Miss Joe, how you doing? Thanks for tuning in. And the outcome was unexpected by the sports books, but understandable. Okay. Boxing roots reach all the way back to 1800s England uh, with influences from ancient Greek, martial and prankotration. Okay. Uh, the toughest fighters were usually immortalized in statues or mosaics, often with idealized musculature arms, huge chests, and sprawling veins. Weightlifting and boxing was far from becoming as righteous as it is today. 
So back then, there was not a lot of weightlifting uh, in boxing, as we know. Uh, there's a lot of real work, real work, skill work, training, and things of that nature. Um, let me see. Ivan chimes in again, and as a boxer, he says, We all follow suit, but after a while, we are determined to do what we feel we want especially after we get through to the top. I I agree with that statement wholeheartedly because, uh, and that happens, since we're talking about boxing, it fits, but I think that happens also in all other sports or in a lot of other ways. It happens sometimes in real life as well. When people reach the top, they figure I'm at the top, so I don't have to work as hard. Because I'm already here. But we all know what happens. And we all know the cliche. When you're at the top, there's no other way to go but where. I'll let y'all think about that. Fill that in on your own. But you get what I'm saying and you get where I'm going with that. Uh, let's see. Bob Fitzsimmons uh, advocated running for seven or eight miles a day. Uh, and while he believed in training with dumbbells and weight, weighted and a weighted bat, he never grew bulky. Okay, uh, running has been a cornerstone of boxing of a boxing boxing training since then, along with jumping rope. And generally speaking, heavyweights of yesteryear had shredded, fit physiques, but lacked the same raw size as Holyfield's era. So there was a difference. Okay, like it says. The guys had the physiques, but it didn't have the raw size. So it wasn't as defined as um, it was in the Holyfield era. Okay. Primo Camrera, first blockbuster, first blockbuster attraction to all audiences with his sheer mass. Of course, he was a circus strongman prior to being a boxer. Uh, he only weighed in at 275 pounds at the time. Uh, many heavyweights didn't even crack 200. Okay, he collected a string of knockouts in the 1930s, um, with his headlines to match. When Ernie Schaaf died shortly after losing to Camara, the big Italian earned a dangerous reputation. Many thought that Schaaf's earlier beating from Max Bear's historically dangerous right hand was the real culprit. Okay, um, Ivan also chimes back in and says. But what I realized, and others should realize, it's hard to stay on top because everyone is out to get you. Absolutely. Like I mentioned, and I left the answer part silent, not too many places to go when you're at the top, but you know where. But down, back down. So once you get to the top, you have that target, that bullseye on your back. And everyone is coming for you. Everyone is bringing their A game when it's pertaining to you if you're at the top. <clears throat> Um, boxing lore also alleges that camera camera's fights were fixed in his favor. Okay, so that's another story. We'll get into that. Uh, and so it says now, fat boxers could also grab headlines, but with skill. Even those men, like the infamous Tony Galento, were still partly viewed as sideshows. Okay, this tone, this tone, Galento was a beer-guzzling New Jersey heavyweight who once fought an octopus, had skill and a left hook to be feared. <clears throat> okay, He stood 5'8 and was 238 pounds, 
of pasta and meatballs, as they say. Okay. He was denoted the bum of the month and offered a chance to fight Joe Lewis. He was ultimately knocked out in four rounds, but not before he dropped Lewis with that sneaky left hook, proving that corpulence doesn't negate good technique. So that point right there backs up what I said. I even chimed in about James Tony and what this article previously said about James Tony, where he had a reputation for being one of the best technical fighters of his era. Again, the same thing with this gentleman. He was fat and portly, if you will, but that did not take away from his skill set. Uh, yeah, Frank says, you can rise to the top, but can fall to the bottom just as fast. You got to stay hungry. Absolutely. So, the best fighters, okay, it says, had both fitness and skill. Okay, during boxing age, Jack Dempsey, for example, was known for speed and devastating power. Stayed in shape by jumping rope, chopping wood, and swinging a sledgehammer. Okay, boxers also fought more often. Uh, the all-time great Sugar Ray Robinson went 11 to no when he first won the middleweight title in 1951. He sometimes fought more than 20 times a year. So that's a lot of fights. Okay, uh, and I understand people change, training regimens have changed. Uh, as we know, not saying that anyone does, but we've had stories and everything, and we know it's around steroid issue, performance-enhancing drugs issue. Okay, so things have changed and progressed. Guys are a lot bigger and a lot stronger, more implementing weights to make themselves bigger and stronger nowadays. <clears throat> uh, conversely, champions today usually fight two or three times a year at most. Okay, Stan, thanks for coming back. Uh, let's see, Floyd Mayweather was famously inactive while earning some of the highest paydays in the history of the sport. Okay, um, a lot of trainers agree that weightlifting didn't really surface until the 80s and the 90s. Um, and it was partly for boxers to move up to a higher division where they might learn more lucrative fights. Okay, so I understand that. Uh, longtime trainer Abel Sanchez. Okay, he's most noted for his success with uh, Triple G. Has long maintained training methods consistent with the old ways. His stable is limited to eight or nine fighters at any time. He doesn't consult, consult with strength and conditioning coaches or sports psychologists. His operation is just him, making his fighters do distant, distance runs twice a week and sprints three times a week. Weights have always been something that most fighters didn't want to mess with because they thought it tightened them up, he said. Uh, Triple G is a knockout artist known for his ability to surge late in fights. was long counted among the world's best fighters. So there you have what comes into play with the road work, the distance running and the sprints. Um, it gives you your legs, gives you the stamina to, to go down and continue and be able to perform later in fights, okay? Um, the more conditioning, to me, this is Abel Sanchez, he says, and I quote, to me, conditioning is not the ability to go 12 rounds. Conditioning is to be able to do in the 12th and 11th 
what you did in the first with the same kind of snap and energy. Okay? You can go 12 rounds and loaf in the last four. All right? Trainer Jeff Finich, um, an old guard boxing trainer, after a fighting career distinguished by his conditioning and toughness, fought at a blistering pace, regularly breaking his hands. Now he preaches short, intense workouts. In his day, he ran three miles a day at a 15-minute pace, rested, then trained just an hour in the afternoon. Okay. So good trainers tend to also tailor their training methods to the fighter. Okay, noted stamina freak Johnny Tapia didn't believe in running and instead jumped rope at least an hour a day, sometimes two. But all trainers and conditioning coaches agree too much muscle is never good and that no and that no strength training can substantially increase punching power. Artificially going up in weight can lead to disaster. Okay, so again, it's telling you that you have traditional trainers and you have some of these new wave trainers, but just to move up, just to move up, it has to be strategically planned. Okay, you can't just move up, like I said, artificially, because it could pose you some problems when you go and fight heavier, stronger opponents. Um, it is a matter of physical structure. Okay. Now, they mentioned Ken Norton, who was a really muscular, but he had to build for it. He had long muscle instead of short, thick muscles. Okay. Uh, I think them was, um, this is what Jesse Reed said, our Hall of Fame trainer Jesse Reed. He also said, I think a mistake when they start fooling around with steroids and they get these, get these strength and conditioning coaches that think bodybuilding is going to work. Okay. Ivan chimes in again and he says, he says, yes, I believe that my only problem uh, didn't use weights. If I would have, would have had more knock, I would have had more knockouts. That's true. Uh, throughout, throughout his whole career, he ran five miles daily except on Sundays. Okay, so see, the traditional stuff, the, the, the wind, as we say. So you have wind to perform in the later rounds like you did in the early rounds. Um, let's see. A guy like George Foreman did a lot of natural training. He got more relaxed with his body, and he started pulling cars and lifting tires and built a lot of natural strength that way. He relaxed more with his body instead of being so tight and so muscular. When he was young, he was a massive muscle man. Okay. Uh, Foreman went 31-3 and three in his second boxing stint after a 10-year hiatus. Yeah, and, Bach, and Ivan also says, yeah, and you're hitting everything on the nose. Thank you. If you if um, I'm doing that, if you were referring to me with that, I appreciate you. Uh, many of those early opponents were soft touches to reestablish that famous name. Um, later on in this in second go-round, his mobility declined, but he compensated with a high ring IQ that grew with his age. He maintained his one-shot knockout power which gave him a chance to win fights even if he got behind in gone. In 1994, he reclaimed a version of the heavyweight title against a young, much more felt Michael Moore. Okay. So, lastly, 
we move into the most recent awkward fight between Anthony Joshua and Mr. Ruiz. Okay, there was two fights. We know what happened in the first right fight. Surprised, um, Ruiz came in looking kind of flabby, and Joshua was the current champion, the incumbent, the stylish, the flamboyant, the physical specimen, if you will. Uh, more recently, fights leading up to this fight, very dominant in his fights. But again, kind of goes back to what was said about James Tony. Ruiz could fight. He knocked Joshua down a couple times. He ultimately won that first fight, um, which was a shocker to the world and a shocker to Anthony Joshua. Uh, they fought again, and we know what happened in the second fight. But he is another prime example to show you that just because you are chiseled and uh, being laid with a physical specimen, you can go up against someone who doesn't look the same way as you, but has just as much skill or maybe even a little bit more and can maintain and hold on and beat you. As we saw with this fight, as we saw throughout James Tony's career, a lot of fights that he won. And again, like they said, he had established himself as one of the greatest technical fighters of his time. So again, you see, excuse me, how I brought that to you. And a lot of times people look at fights and they immediately look at the two fighters and they look at one and they look at the other. And then they immediately just for sakes of seeing that person say, oh yeah, he's going to win this fight. Yada, yada, yada. When not knowing that the person that could be not the staple or the stereotypical boxer or look like the stereotypical boxer can somehow have the skill set, the mentality and the wherewithal to win a fight like we saw with this Anthony Joshua, David Ruiz fighting like we saw in a lot of fights with James Tony. So, doesn't always mean that you have to be chiseled to be at the top to be the winner. You can be a little bit portly, but still have the skill set to do what you need to do and get things done. Uh, again, James Tony, David Ruiz, two examples you can follow and... I hope you take this. This video will go up. I'm going to take a quick break. When I come back, I am going to get into talking to you about the sneaker game and how the sneaker game works. Um, a lot of people have some misconceptions. And this is just piggybacking off of what I mentioned to you last week about the NCAA um, proposing to allow college athletes to earn money um, and get endorsements with their name. So with that being said, it is now 11.37, 37 minutes past the 11 a.m. hour. You are tuned into Sports Rap. It's your boy, Sports Rap D. Thanks to everyone that's tuned in. I'm going to take a break. You can take a break. Go get you some water. Go get a snack. Come back. When we come back, we will discuss or I will talk to you about how the sneaker game works. It's your boy D, Sports Rap, Heat 100 Radio. See you on the other side in just a few minutes.